to the RTI Time Machine. Today's time traveler is... John Van Trieste. And the destination... The 1920s and 30s. During the 1920s, Taiwan's intellectuals banded together to bring new culture, new knowledge, and new art to Taiwan in an effort to improve its society. Taiwan at this point was a Japanese colony, and many intellectuals cherished hope for political goals like Taiwanese home rule. But they also set themselves to work trying to bring Taiwan into a new cultural era. This was the Taiwanese New Culture Movement. Across Taiwan, these educated people organized lectures designed to spread knowledge in an era when access to information was limited. They wrote new literature, staged new plays, and even founded a newspaper to spread their ideas across Taiwan. This new culture movement is the focus of a new museum that's opened in Taipei this month, the Taiwan New Cultural Movement Memorial Hall. Last week, museum director Xu Meihui set the scene for us, introducing the goals of the movement and the cast of characters behind it. This week, she's back with us to tell us how people reacted to the movement and how much of a success it turned out to be. First, though, a look at the place where the movement began, the old Taipei district of Dadaocheng, where today's museum is located. Why was this place so important to the movement? Ms. Xu says that from the second half of the 19th century, when foreign merchants began to set up shop there, the area was one place in Taiwan where foreign ideas could be found. It also helped that the area attracted the educated, or those with intellectual leanings. One of the movement's key figures, the doctor Jiang Weishui, had his hospital there, for instance. This was fertile ground for new ideas to seep into Taiwan, and for Taiwanese thinkers to diffuse them further. That intellectuals in Dadaocheng would take up ideas from the outside was one thing. But how would Taiwan's ordinary people react to being talked to about this new culture? Was the Taiwan outside of certain circles ready for these ideas? Ms. Xu says the public seemed to lap it all up eagerly. Everyday people wanted knowledge and learning, and there didn't seem to be enough to go around. She says the culture movement's events across Taiwan were often packed. And there's clear evidence, too, for how popular the leaders of the movement became. The doctor Jiang Weishui died at a relatively young age, and footage exists of his public funeral. The roads were clogged with mourners from all walks of life and the colonial authorities dispatched forces to keep order, fearing that public grief would morph into public anger at the government. This brings us to our next question. How did the Japanese colonial authorities react to the movement? Of course, Ms. Xu says, there were worries about resistance and pushback to colonization. The authorities were guarded and kept an eye on proceedings, lest things get out of hand. Police were stationed outside the movement's lectures to monitor what was said and ensure no political goals were brought up. Still, into the 1930s, official interference with the movement didn't go beyond censorship of the movement's newspaper, which did sometimes come out with large chunks of it left blank, 
a sign that some article had offended official sensibilities. As the 1930s wore on, though, and war came to East Asia, pressure to assimilate Taiwan's people to Japanese culture grew, and that pressure reached the culture movement, too. For instance, one new policy banned performances of Taiwanese plays, making a big part of what the movement did illegal. The movement didn't stop staging new plays, of course, but its adherents had to be careful. A lookout would be posted during performances to inform the players if a police patrol was coming by. If they got the message in time, the actors would then make quick costume changes into Japanese clothing and pretend to put on an approved Japanese play for the benefit of the police inspectors. Under this pressure, the movement couldn't last forever. And Ms. Xu says once the Pacific War had begun, it was finally suppressed. Even without suppression, it's not clear that the movement could have lasted. By this point, the movement had already become fragmented. It was difficult to hold together, given the range of viewpoints and cultural affinities, Chinese, Japanese, and Western, that divided its followers. Ms. Xu says that from historical records, there's no sign the divisions led to factional infighting, but groups like the Taiwanese Cultural Association, the very force that had set the movement in motion, did end up splitting apart. After these splits and its final suppression, the movement never re-emerged. So was it a failure then? Ms. Xu doesn't think so. As far as its founders' goals of spreading knowledge, and as they saw it improving society went, she says it was an overall success. She says the only problem was that it didn't continue through the war, or thereafter once Japanese rule ended. Certainly, the memory of the cultural movement lingered on long after the movement itself. People are still thinking about it today. Ms. Xu says the location decided on for the museum is appropriate. Not only is it in Dadaocheng, the center of the movement, it also fills a former police station, the kind of place some of the movement's leaders would have been familiar with, given their other more political activities. It was even built during the Japanese colonial period, constructed in 1933. Taipei city government declared the building a historic site, and preparations to turn it into a museum went on for a long time. The decision to put the museum in the building was made as early as 2006, but it's only just open now. Ms. Xu says among the reasons for this is that repairs and restoration had to be done. Now that the museum's open, what's in it? Ms. Xu says the first floor features a permanent exhibit covering much of the ground we've covered over these two weeks, the origins of the movement, the movement's goals, and the methods it used to achieve them. The exhibit includes photographs of movement events and samples of its publications. Visitors will also be able to see some of what the original cells in the police station were like. 
The second floor is home to thematic exhibits focused on the artistic side of the movement. Ms. Xu says this exhibit concentrates on what she calls the four aspects of new culture, new literature, new theater, new music, and new visual art. Though the number is still small, the museum also displays a few personal items that belong to some of the culture movement's leaders, including a report card showing the grades the Dr. Jiang Weishui got while still a medical student. There are also examples of the writing the leaders of the movement produced, including some work written while imprisoned in places much like this one. The Taiwan New Cultural Movement Memorial Hall is the only place where a quest to bring 20th century ideas to Taiwan is on display permanently, so that future generations can measure the new culture movement and its success for themselves. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another Journey Through Time. The Sound of the Puyuma Tribe on Radio Taiwan International.